What's up, everybody, and welcome back to Fireside Giants. I'm your host, Anthony Rivardo, joined by my co-host, Alex Wilson. Hope you all enjoyed your weekend, enjoyed some of that great football that we had on. I really thought the Buffalo Bills were finally going to beat the Kansas City Chiefs, but alas, Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey, too much for Buffalo to overcome. Really good game with the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Detroit Lions. It's going to be an exciting weekend next weekend for the championship games. But one thing that I noticed in these games, Alex, throughout the weekend, a lot of great tight end play. The Lions got Sam Laporta, the 49ers, they've got George Kittle, and of course the Kansas City Chiefs, the historically great duo of Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey. We're seeing elite tight ends all across the NFL and having an elite tight end translate into extreme success in the postseason, even thinking back to Tom Brady, Rob Gronkowski, and now, of course, like I said, that Mahomes to Kelsey duo is something else. Is the key to being a playoff and championship caliber team in the NFL having an elite tight end? That's kind of the question that we want to tackle in today's episode and discuss the possibility of the New York Giants drafting a tight end in the first round, which I know, sixth overall, it's a little rich for a tight end, but there is one prospect who's been labeled the greatest college tight end of all time, Brock Bowers out of Georgia, and a lot of NFL websites and draft analysts are saying that the Giants are a perfect fit for Brock Bowers at the top of this draft. So we're going to go ahead and discuss Brock Bowers, whether or not we would want the New York Giants to consider him with a sixth overall pick, and then how they could possibly create that quarterback tight end duo by going Bowers in round one and maybe landing a quarterback in round two. That's what we're going to dive into in today's episode. But before we dive into all that, make sure to leave a like if you do enjoy this episode. Subscribe to the channel if you are new. Ring the bell so you don't miss an episode and comment your thoughts on the topics down below in the comment section. If you listen to Apple or Spotify, please make sure to leave us a five-star review. Go ahead and follow us on all of our social media channels at Fireside Giants. Without further ado, Alex, how are you doing today, my friend? What are your thoughts on the games this weekend? And also, how do you feel about the Giants maybe considering taking a tight end with the sixth overall pick? I'm doing pretty good. Some really, really good games this weekend. Obviously, uh, wanted the Bills to win. I think you were in agreement with that. But, um, you know, Patrick Mahomes is too freaking good. And despite the fact they barely have any receivers, he still manages to win football games. And, you know, Josh Allen did his best. That 70-yard throw that went right through Diggs' hands. I mean, he couldn't put it in a better spot. You know what I mean? Like, it's sometimes you need players to step up and make plays, and they don't. Um, but is what it is. The Giants obviously hoping to get one of those guys that makes a catch like that. And, you know, Brock Bowers, a couple people have been throwing his name around on, on Twitter and really throwing his name around as a potential option for the Giants in the top 10. And, guys, you know, Brock Bowers – if you want an elite playmaker at the tight end position, that's the guy you go with. Now, a lot of people are going to say, I'd rather go with the receiver, and I'm in agreement with you. If it's between Brock Bowers and Malik Neighbors or Rome Odunz, like, I think I'm going with the receiver there over Brock Bowers. However, not a bad consolation prize. If you have a good enough quarterback, an elite tight end could be the difference in winning football games, ultimately. You know, the blocking, the screens, the you know downfield qualities. You see what Travis Kelsey has done. He just surpassed Brady and Gronkowski for the most um, quarterback tight end touchdowns with 16 in the, in the, the postseason. So, you know, you're seeing what that elite combination looks like. Mike Kafka was trying to emulate that with Daniel Jones and Darren Waller. In fact, you know, well, rather, in fact, instead, it was more of the Chinese knockoff version um, of uh, <laughs> of Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes. Um, so unfortunately, we were not able to generate that level of production 
Um, but Brock Bowers certainly does a lot for you in the, in the past game. You know, a healthy guy. He's explosive. He can attack the screen game. He's one of the best screen catchers um, in the, in this upcoming draft class. I mean, he just freaking churns yards after the catch. He's fast. Um, you know, he's athletic. This is a really exciting prospect. Um, and a lot of people are going to say, you know, because he plays tight end, it's not worthwhile drafting him. But... You know, the alternative to that is a tight end could be a tremendous asset in the running game and the passing game, whereas a receiver is mostly going to make his impact in the passing game. So, you know, something to think about Daniel Jones, if the Giants are going to stick with him, you know, Brock Bowers certainly could be a great insurance policy for him. You know, security blanket underneath can, you know, do a lot with a little. Um, and if the Giants want to go after a quarterback like J.J. McCarthy, given he slips to the second round, something we're going to talk about in a couple minutes here, you know, maybe J.J. McCarthy as a developmental piece could look at Brock Bowers and say, hey, man, like this dude is my go-to option. You know, I can rely on him to be there. I can rely on him to make those catches. Um, you know, someone they can have a, a, develop a really good chemistry between long term. So, Certainly an option. I know a lot of people think that J.J. McCarthy is going in the first round. Totally possible. I personally don't don't think he's worth a first-round pick. Um, and we're going to talk about why f for the Giants, it's a risk. You know, going for J.J. McCarthy is a gamble because they kind of have to win now. And J.J. McCarthy is not ready to start an NFL game. I think he needs at least a year on the bench. You know, more so like a year, two years of development before you even start to see that potential uh, based on the fact he hasn't played a lot in terms of throwing the football at the collegiate level. So, uh, you know, we'll dive into that. But, you know, Anthony, what do you think happens here? You know, you cut Darren Waller, you save $7 million, you save a lot of money long term, and you replace him with an elite uh, tight end prospect like Brock Bowers. How does that you know, impact the offense and what are you going to, how do you kind of supplement the, the fact that you didn't get a top receiver? Are you willing to, you know, go receiver or go tight end in this scenario where the giants, you know, have to pick between those two positions? Well, in terms of going receiver, thankfully this draft class is loaded with receiver talent. Like there's good prospects in the second, third, even fourth round in this year's class. So if the Giants don't go wide receiver in first round, that's not to say that they can't find an impactful wide receiver later on in the draft because they likely can. Now I'm not saying they're going to get a day one number one wide receiver in the third, fourth round, but they'll get an impactful player if they decide to go wide receiver in those second to fourth to fifth rounds there. They can find someone who can make an impact as a rookie. But can they find a receiver in those middle rounds or even in the first round who might have the same day one impact as Brock Bowers? Well, that's debatable. I mean, even when you're talking about a guy like a Malik Neighbors, who we just discussed recently on the channel, who you all know that I'm very high on, his impact, yeah, it's going to be significant. It'll be tremendous. But will it be as great as that of a Brock Bowers? That's questionable. You can honestly debate that Brock Bowers would be more impactful because of what you just mentioned. Not only is he going to be a great player for you in the receiving game, also in the running game. He can contribute there. He's a good blocker. But this is a guy who makes plays after the catch as a tight end, catches just about everything that comes his way, runs great routes, gets open. And that's kind of what's been missing from the Giants offense, that element of having a tight end that does it all, right? Who's great in the run game, great as a receiver, gets wide open, makes plays after the catch, like a complete package at the tight end position. I don't know when the last time the New York Giants had one of those. Maybe we're talking about Jeremy Shockey back in the day. I mean, that guy, he would get open, he would run through people, you know, hit them so hard their helmets go flying off 15 yards. That was the fun New York Giants brand of football that Jeremy Shockey was really um, emulating there. And the Giants haven't had an elite tight end like that since then. 
And while they've had elite wide receivers since then, and you think back to that 2011-12 Super Bowl that the Giants won, they had three wide receivers that were really good, two of them elite, Hakeem Nix and Victor Cruz. Those were two elite wide receivers. And that was really the backbone of that offense to get to the Super Bowl, them and Eli Manning. So now you think about the modern NFL, though. Is it a lot of wide receiver heavy teams making an impact and going deep in the playoffs? Or is it teams with an elite tight end? And that's why I was mentioning those playoff teams. It's the teams with the best tight ends that just manage to end up at the top of the league year in and year out. And I know the Kansas City Chiefs have been a dominant force there, but the 49ers as well, like I said, now you have the Lions with Sam Laporta. He's been a real piece for them in their offense. And so looking at the impact of an elite tight end on an NFL offense makes you ponder, is it more beneficial for the Giants to go with a Malik Neighbors, or is it more beneficial for them to go with a Brock Bowers? And now again, I really like Brock Bowers, I think, um, or Malik Neighbors rather. I think that if Marvin Harrison Jr. wasn't in this class, he would be the consensus number one receiver. He is that good. He's an elite separator. He makes great catches uh, through traffic. Like He does it all from the receiver standpoint. But Brock Bowers does as well from the tight end standpoint. And again, looking at the success of these top quarterbacks and these top playoff teams, tight end has been a common denominator for a lot of them. So is it too rich to take Brock Bowers at six overall to take a tight end in the first round? I know a lot of people will say that it is, but in my opinion, no, I don't believe that it is. I think that Brock Bowers is worthy of being drafted that high. If you look at his career stats, he had 24 touchdowns in college. He had 700 yards, I believe, this past season. Like He's constantly getting open, constantly making plays, and he looks like he could be one of those players that has an impact immediately, like Sam Laporta, that has an impact long-term at the high end, like a Travis Kelsey. If you think that you're drafting a Travis Kelsey... You might have to make the argument that you'd rather have the Travis Kelsey versus the Stephon Diggs, right? I mean, we just saw it with the Buffalo Bills. They have an elite receiver. I know Stephon Diggs isn't what he used to be, but... You know, having that elite wide receiver is great for a lot of teams, but again, the teams with the elite tight end keep gaining the edge. Having that big difference of, you know, a playmaking tight end who catches all those touchdowns and gets open so frequently and is your security blanket underneath while also hitting the big plays, that's done a whole lot for the top offenses in the NFL. And that's why I think that if the Giants, if they were to consider Brock Bowers over Malik Neighbors, I wouldn't really be opposed to it. Like, I want Malik Neighbors. I'd probably pick him if I were the NFL GM in this situation, but I'm not the NFL GM in this situation. So if the NFL GM went with a tight end and Brock Bowers, I wouldn't complain too much. But then there's the other half of this, right? We all know that the New York Giants, we've heard the reports, we've seen the rumors, they want to draft a quarterback in the first round. But doing so is easier said than done when you're picking sixth overall and you've got five quarterback needy teams potentially ahead of you, right? I mean, the Giants, they want a quarterback. But you've got the Washington Commanders, you've got the New England Patriots, and the Chicago Bears in front of them. Those teams might all take quarterbacks. So what do the Giants do if quarterbacks go one, two, three, and they're picking six? Well, you take that playmaker, but if you're dead set on drafting a quarterback, I think in round two, there's three players who will probably be available at some point in the second round and the Giants could consider. Now, of course, J.J. McCarthy is the first one that you mentioned. Alex, you you said that you don't think he's going to go in the first round. I actually feel pretty confidently that he will go in the first round. I don't think he's going in the top 10. That's too rich. But this is a 20-year-old quarterback who's coming off of a national championship and has a really strong arm. I think that an NFL team is going to fall in love with him. He doesn't have the stats. He doesn't have the experience. You know, he he wasn't asked to throw a lot. He really was a game manager for Michigan most of the time. But he still has those intangible traits that an NFL team is going to bank on. And that's why I think he's going to go in the first round. But if he doesn't and he's there in the beginning of the second round... I could see the Giants falling in love with him and taking him in that second round and hoping that he's the Jalen Hurts in this story, right? Of course, the Philadelphia Eagles several seasons ago 
2020 NFL Draft, they weren't picking high enough to get those top quarterbacks, the Burrows, the Tungavailoas, the Justin Herbert, right? They weren't picking high enough for that. So in round two, they went with the slept on Jalen Hurts, and he's been their franchise quarterback. He's led them to a lot of postseason appearances, a Super Bowl appearance. Maybe the New York Giants could go that route. Maybe you take the best playmaker available in round one, and then you circle back around to quarterback in round two. And if that quarterback pans out in round two, and you also have an elite playmaker that you grabbed him in round one, that might be a dream scenario for the Giants, where they can kind of kill two birds with one stone in this draft, get themselves an elite uh, an elite weapon on offense, also get themselves a quarterback that can get the ball to that elite weapon. So, like I said, J.J. McCarthy could be one of the options, but there's two others, Alex, and I'm curious to get your thoughts on those guys. Is it just J.J. McCarthy or bust for you in the second round? Like, would that be the only quarterback prospect that you consider? Because I know that we've had discussions about Michael Penix Jr. out of Washington. A lot of red flags surrounding his medicals. And then you also have Bo Nix, threw 45 touchdowns with only three picks this last year for Oregon. Some guys think he's a first-round prospect. Other guys think he's a fifth-round prospect because he's been playing college football for six seasons. That's way too late to have a breakout. There's a lot of red flags with those other guys. It's not like we're talking about those top three quarterback prospects. But that second third of quarterback prospects, Alex, how comfortable are you with the New York Giants prioritizing getting one of those guys in the second round if they do decide to take a weapon in round one? I mean, guys, if you if you've watched Brock Bowers, um, you know, kind of start there and then segue into what you're what you're discussing now. Um, Brock Bowers is basically a receiver in a tight end's body. He's a little bit undersized. If you if you look at him, he looks a little bit undersized, but uh, man, he runs routes like a receiver. Dude has insane hands. Like multiple one-handed catches last year that were like, whoa, holy crap. Um, he's he's like an elite pass catcher. Like you said, it kind of gives me like Sam Laporta vibes, but he's a better route runner. Um, that's the best way I can describe it. Um, Laporta's obviously making a significant impact for the Lions this season. You know, if, if we were... Here's the thing. I think Laporta is a lot is really good because they have a guy like Amon Ross St. Brown. We don't have that. You know what I mean? I would love to get a Malik Neighbors and then go get like a pass catching tight end with upside like a Sam Laporta um, as the second piece. I'm I would go Neighbors or Odunes before I went with Bowers, despite the fact I think that Bowers is a stud really great player and he plays like his head's on fire like he plays the game at 110 percent effort um sometimes you can't always find players like that like he just he is a willing blocker he is willing to do whatever it takes to win um you he plays that way you see he, i mean he does not go down on first contact um so you know love to see that from him i think he's going to go to a team whoever whatever team could be the giants and have a really successful long career um but looking at you know like i said before about jj mccarthy though i i definitely could see him going in the first round not that I don't see him going in the first round. I just don't have a first round grade on him. I think he's a high second round pick personally. Um, I don't trust the lack of experience. You know, I don't trust that he is going to make an impact. And here's my take for the Giants. Another team, by the way, um, let's say, for example, the Falcons hired Jim Harbaugh. I totally see the, the Falcons taking J.J. McCarthy to be their future quarterback. He goes to a coach that he knows very well. They have success together. They know how to scheme around him. I would get that. But the Giants offense is focusing on getting the ball downfield, operating out of structure, and JJ McCarthy operates within structure a lot. You know, they do they roll him out, you know, they he he they stack the box against the run. Like he operates from structure because they built that scheme to not focus on him. Like, think about it though. If you want to have a superstar quarterback, that quarterback has to be in the in the spotlight, the focus, and dominate in the focus. Those guys become great. J.J. McCarthy is not the focus of that Michigan offense. In fact, he plays second fiddle to their run game. Um, so, you know, you, you you look at him as a 
high upside prospect. And look, I think that he has the tools, right? So I wouldn't say he has great arm talent, but he has slightly above average arm talent. Like, you know, he's good arm talent. Um, you know, he can make those on the run. He's got some athleticism. But I just haven't seen him be that difference maker in enough games, right? You know, a lot of people, for example, Anthony, I'll throw this out there. Daniel Jones has had a couple of really great games in his career. You know, he he dominated in the second half against Arizona. He kicked the Vikings' butt last year. You know, he dominated against the Saints. You know, we've seen him have a couple of great performances. That's exactly how I feel about J.J. McCarthy. We've seen him have a couple of great performances, but otherwise, he's been a He's been a second fiddle to their to their scheme. You know what I mean? He had 140 passing yards in the national championship game. Yes, he won a national championship game, but he barely did anything. You know what I mean? Like he didn't like he took all the credit or he takes all he gets all the credit, but he was not the reason they won that game. The reason they won that game is because their defense destroyed Michael Penix. The reason that they won that game is their running game was elite. You know what I mean? 140 passing yards, zero touchdowns, zero interceptions is not winning you a Super Bowl. Go ask Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes how they won yesterday's game. They scored at will nonstop. That's the only way you beat some of these great quarterbacks. Is J.J. McCarthy stepping in and, and developing into a player that's going to be in the spotlight and take over a game on his own with, with, a, with a subpar supporting cast? I don't see it. I don't see that level of elite upside personally. I need to see a guy in college who was in the spotlight, dominated, showed up in big games, and did it consistently. J.J. McCarthy has never been that guy. Like He's never been that guy that's consistently showed up and put up dominant 350-plus passing yard games with multiple touchdowns. You know what I mean? He's done it a couple of times, but so was Daniel Jones, and we bitch about Daniel Jones all the time. So are we not going to ignore the fact that J.J. McCarthy, and I'm not arguing against you, Anthony, more so just, again, that J.J. McCarthy in the first round narrative. I don't agree with drafting him because I haven't seen enough consistent great performances from J.J. McCarthy to say that he can do it at the NFL level. How many players have great tools? We talk about, oh, well, he has great tools. He has the capacity. Tools don't make you great, guys. You have to actually apply those tools. You know, you actually have to use those tools just because he has a decent arm and he can throw on the run, has a little bit of athleticism. We've seen hundreds of players go to the NFL with those exact qualities and fail. You know, how about Trey Lance is a great example. Dude was drafted in the top 10 picks, you know, by the 49ers. He had a great arm, you know, great mobility, you know, had a tremendous college career, and he was a complete bust. And he had all the tools. You know what I mean? We could rattle off players, you know, Sam Darnold, Zach Wilson, all these guys, tremendous tools amounted to nothing. You know what I mean? So I'm, I can really sit here and, and sell me the bill of the bill of goods that J.J. McCarthy has the tools when he hasn't actually applied them at a consistently elite level in college. And we're expecting him to develop into elite quarterback in the NFL. That's why I have a second grade around grade on him. I just don't see that level of upside because we've never seen it consistently from him at the collegiate level. Now people are probably going to be in the comments. I've seen him do it. How many times? How many? Show me the consistent games where he's put up 300 plus receiving yards. Because I'm pretty sure he only had two games this year with over 200 or over 300 receiving or passing yards. Rather, but only two games. You know what I mean? Like the, the final few weeks of the season, I don't even think he threw over 250 yards more than once. You know what I mean? Like. What are we like? We're not seeing elite performances from JJ McCarthy. We're hoping he can develop into that. And guys, we barely can develop our talent, yet we think we're going to develop JJ McCarthy into an elite level quarterback. Let's be realistic about it. You know what I mean? Um, if you if you want to send a second round pick on him, I'm cool with that. I'm cool with a second round pick because that means we, we draft an elite playmaker with our first round pick. But there's no way in hell I'm trading back to draft JJ McCarthy. And, and aside from all the reasons I've listed, how about this one? 
D- Brian Dable and Joe Shane have one more year to figure this thing out. You think they're going to invest all of that in a in a trade in a trade back for JJ McCarthy, where he has to sit on the bench and develop for at least a year anyway? They need to win football games now, and JJ McCarthy is not going to help them win football games right now. And you think John Mara is going to sit here and wait for JJ McCarthy to be ready and keep Joe Shane and Brian Dable? This team sucks. You know, I don't, I don't, don't see that vision. I don't get that. I, I don't think JJ McCarthy is enough reason to uh, let them figure it out. Let Joe Shane, let Brian Dable figure it out. If you get Jaden Daniels, Caleb Williams, or Drake May, I see the vision there. I can give them a couple years to figure that out and build around him. But they're ready to they're ready to start right now and make an impact in the NFL immediately. JJ McCarthy is not ready for that. You know what I mean? So I, I personally think that it would be a waste of a draft pick to draft him in the first round. I think most people agree with that though. That first round for JJ is is kind of foolish. But second round, I get. I could I could you could sell me a bill of goods for the second round um, because you're taking a shot there. You know, Lamar Jackson went almost in the second round, and he is elite traits. You know, he came into the NFL with elite traits. You know, Anthony, we were just discussing this, actually, before the podcast. If you're drafting a player, they can't just be all-around average. They need to have at least one elite trait that you can scheme into your offense, right? Malik Neighbors, dude has multiple elite traits. Brock Bowers, he's an elite pass-catching tight end. You know, Fashanu or Joe Alt, elite pass blockers. You know what I mean? Like, they have elite traits. Um, now, you know, of course, they have their their differences and pros and cons, but I don't see any elite traits from J.J. McCarthy. He's not an elite runner. He's not. He doesn't have an elite arm. He doesn't operate an offense at an elite level. I've, I just don't see any elite traits to build around there and as a first-round prospect. A second-round, sure, develop him over time, but I'm not spending a first-round pick on a gamble there. You, the Giants should not get cute with this traffic. They take the best player available at six. You know what I mean? Like, just take the best one that's there because – you know, that's really what's going to make this team better. Elite players, not gambles in the first round. Listen, you said a whole lot there, and I think you made a lot of valid points. But what I will say is that I think you could make an argument that J.J. McCarthy does have an elite trait. Whether you want to call it elite potential just because he's 20 years old, you could maybe make that argument. Like, he's young and he's already won. Like, he's an elite winner. You could say that. And honestly, there are some fans of his arm talent that say he does have an elite arm. And now, I know you're not in that boat. I'm not sure if I'm in that boat or not. But I've seen a couple throws where I'm like, all right, I, I, I see it, you know, like I could see what other people see. I don't personally buy into it as much because, again, all the other uh, traits that you mentioned that are lacking, his lack of experience being a game winner rather than a game manager. But again, at the end of the day, he won a national championship like that is elite. And there were aspects of his game that you could buy into. And so it's really comes it comes down to whether or not you want the Giants to draft a traits based quarterback, a guy with untapped potential and then unlock it. But like you said, that's a project, probably takes more than one season, where if you want them to get a guy that you think has a high floor and a high ceiling and can instantly step in and make an impact. And I know that's where you fall for a guy like Jaden Daniels, because we both see it where he's already got an elite mobility aspect to his game, an elite deep ball to his game. So now it's just about crafting the rest of his game and maybe turning him into something more complete at the quarterback position. But there are traits that should allow him to find early success in his career as well. But I think that there are arguments to make for J.J. McCarthy to find early success in his career. In fact, one argument that I'll make is 
everybody seems to find early success under Brian Dable. You could say that J.J. McCarthy will step into the Giants offense the same way Tommy DeVito did and win three clutch games in a row, or maybe the same way Tyrod Taylor did, or even the same way that Daniel Jones did in 2022, stepped into Brian Dable's offense, immediately it was quarterback friendly and he found success. Maybe McCarthy at 20 years old steps into a Brian Dable offense, finds success immediately, then continues to develop and grow and build his game and finds even more success the following season and the season after that because he is so young and has so much room to grow. So I do think that there are arguments to be made about maybe J.J. McCarthy is a first-round target for the New York Giants. Again, at six, it's rich. Uh, Too rich for my liking. If they did it, though... I probably would be pretty upset. I think I I would feel like it's a Daniel Jones situation all over again, and you're leaving much better talents on the board, right? Like, there's no way I'm arguing to take McCarthy over a Brock Bowers or a Malik Neighbors or even a Romo Dunze. Those are guys that I want with that number six overall pick if it's not a quarterback. But if you do take one of those guys, and in round two, J.J. McCarthy is sitting there, or how about this, Alex? J.J. McCarthy's falling down the draft board, and the Giants trade up from round two to the back end of the first round to draft J.J. McCarthy. Now, that makes a lot of sense to me because you do want your quarterback to have that fifth year option on his contract. So ideally, you'd like to draft him in the first round rather than waiting for the second round. So that's something that I could see the Giants doing back end of the first round, they trade up same way that the Ravens did for Lamar Jackson back in 2018. They wanted to have Lamar Jackson on a five-year contract rather than a four-year contract. So they traded up to the last pick of the first round. And I think that they were picking similarly in the second round to where the Giants are at around 39. So maybe that's an option that the Giants could take. Move up from the second round into the back end of the first round. Go ahead and take JJ McCarthy then. That I can te- I can get behind. But at number six overall, I need that elite player. You know, if we're not getting an an elite quarterback prospect. I at least need an elite skill position player. I need a Bowers. I need a Neighbors. This Giants offense needs something. Hasn't had a thousand yard receiver since 2018. For what it's worth, Brock Bowers is such a damn good tight end. Maybe he could be that thousand yard receiver. Doesn't have to be a wide receiver, but he could be a thousand yard receiver. So I, I just think that the Giants. They made this mistake back in 2019 when they drafted Daniel Jones at six. They left an elite talent on the board with Josh Allen, the pass rusher who went to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Now he's one of the best edge rushers in the NFL in line to get paid with a monster contract this upcoming offseason because he just posted double digit sacks again. So I think that if the New York Giants have an opportunity to get a blue chip elite prospect at six, you have to take that player. You don't forego that opportunity to get a developmental quarterback. That's the mistake they made in 2019. They can't afford to make it again in 2024. But that's not to say that they shouldn't trade up for a quarterback that they think is elite at the top three picks of the draft. And that's also not to say that they can't take a quarterback that they think could be elite down the line developmentally in this draft. But with number six overall, you've got a chance to find somebody elite right there you got to take that opportunity um, and run with it and take the elite blue chip prospect. Again, it's a mistake they made several years ago. They can't afford to make it again. But the other quarterback prospects, the Bo Nix, the uh, Michael Penix, again, Michael Penix, we'll see if he's on the draft board for the Giants. I think teams are going to take him off the draft board because of the medical history. I was reading more about it today. There was an NFL insider saying he's going to get an undraftable grade by some NFL teams because of the two torn ACLs. So Michael Penix, while I think he's a tremendous talent, really good player, and I, I would love to see him paired with Romo Dunze. Like that is a route the Giants could go is kind of the Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase route, but opposite, you take the elite wide receiver, Romo Dunze at six. And then in the second round, maybe you sit, circle back around and get Michael Penix and you keep that duo going. That's interesting to me. I do find some intrigue in that. But again, so many red flags of Michael Penix and those injuries. I don't know if I could really buy into it. And then Bo Nix, I don't know how to really evaluate this guy. This feels 
like a Mac Jones-esque player. Threw a lot of deep passes. The majority of his passes were thrown behind the line of scrimmage last year. It's kind of tough to say he earned all 45 of those touchdowns and all 4,500 of those yards when a lot of that yardage came on screens and short drag routes and slants and stuff like that. So I don't think that he's the playmaker and the guy that the New York Giants are going to want. I think when you look at what Brian Dable likes in his quarterbacks, he does like guys with athleticism, mobility, and a cannon of an arm. Josh Allen, Tyrod Taylor, I mean, he throws a great deep ball too. Those are the guys that Brian Dable leans towards. So if they're going to go quarterback, I don't even think Bo Nix is one that they're going to consider. However, maybe that is what happens. Maybe Brock Bowers at six and Bo Nix at 39, wherever the Giants are picking. Listen, I can get behind taking the quarterback in round two. It's a gamble, sure. Second round picks are still valuable, but it's a gamble I'm willing to take because it's not as risky. But again, you just can't forego the opportunity to get a blue chip prospect at six. Alex, I know I know that you're in agreement with me, so I'll let you kind of wrap up with some uh, final thoughts on making sure that you sure, get one of those blue chip prospects. Yeah, you, you referenced 2019 as you know when we, we passed on Josh Allen, we got Daniel Jones. I'll throw another one into the mix here. We got a little too cute in 2021 as well. We we ended up trading back with the Bears to get Kadarius Tony, and we passed Rashawn Slater and Micah Parsons. Uh, why do like guys? We now have two examples in five years of the Giants passing on elite talents just to watch them become fucking elite. Excuse my language, but that's the truth. We keep passing on elite players just to watch them go be elite, and we end up with guys who are either, you know, not good or aren't even on the fucking team anymore. Canaries Tony is no longer on this football team. The Giants spent the pick they got from the Bears on Evan Neal, who, by the way, stinks. You know what I mean? The Giants continue to miss on these on these risky gambles, right? And these are gambles. These are gambles every single time. You you pass on Josh Allen, you pass on Micah Parsons and Rashawn Slater. You keep doing the same thing, and that's the def- in, a, in expecting different results. That's the definition of freaking crazy. If you're Joe Shane, the only way, the only two options in my opinion is you're staying at six and taking the best player available. Or you're trading up to get an elite level prospect who could become elite. You know what I mean? That's the only two options. Trading back again, they don't have the time. They don't have the time to watch J.J. McCarthy develop as a first-round pick. It's not possible. And by the way, the Giants don't have any freaking structure on offense. You know what I mean? Like, think about Brock Purdy and how lucky the 49ers got. Because Brock Purdy's strength is his poise and his ability to make the right decisions. And Fortunately for him, the 49ers have the best structure in football on offense. They they are super, super um, you know, disciplined. They know exactly what their roles are. They do their jobs, and they don't try to make up for anything else. Everyone does their job, right? The Giants, everyone on offense has no idea what's going on. Everyone on offense is doing something different. They're, they're not in sync. They're not in lockstep. Their structure is all over the place. The only reason we had any sense of production this past year was, one, we beat up on some really bad teams, and two, Tyrod Taylor was running around, for, running for his life half the time, throwing off his back foot, throwing off, off platform. That is not a sustainable offensive model, right? It's not. We've, we've seen it over and over and over again. I mean, the Bills kind of run that system, and they just lost to the Chiefs. You can't beat these teams that have better structure. Um, and the Giants... Putting J.J. McCarthy in an offense like this with zero structure is going to be a disaster, right? That's why I think Jaden Daniels is so good for us because he can play win in structure, in rhythm, and outside of structure using his legs. Same thing with Caleb Williams. He's actually the opposite. He's so good off structure, but in structure, he's a little bit – he almost doesn't know what to do. So it's like interesting, but you can develop that. Those are developmental traits. He's got an elite generational arm and obviously the ability to throw – 
off-platform, whatever. He can do it all, and he has athleticism too. Um, that's kind of why I like those two players for the Giants, but again, it's a pipe dream at this point. Don't think they're going to be able to trade up. So in my opinion, you go for the player who's going to be as close to a guarantee as you can possibly get. Of course, no player is ever a guarantee, but you go for the guy that's going to be freaking great for you immediately because they have those elite traits. That is Malik Neighbors to me. Malik Neighbors is an elite player all like throughout. Like everything about him is elite. He's explosive, phenomenal hands. He's a deep threat. Great yards after the catch. He is he is a perfect prospect for what the Giants need right now as, as a receiver. You know what I mean? He's he's made in a lab for to be a receiver for the Giants, and he's a good personality too, coming from an explosive downfield oriented offense in LSU, which is exactly what the Giants want to do. You know what I mean? He's built in a lab to be a freaking giant um, at the receiver position, at least in my opinion. So, you know. I, I, right now, I think like the Giants just they can't get cute here. They got to take the elite prospect. You know what I mean? They've we've seen them do it twice now, where they've they've waited, they've passed, they've taken a gamble, and it shot them in the foot. You know what I mean? Yes, if if the draft capital is so good, you can't pass it up. You consider it, of course. You pick up the phone. Don't be Dave Gettleman. You pick up the damn phone and see what the offer is. But if it's not going to land you a substantial haul that's like, okay, we have no choice but to move out of this, and there's going to be no quarterbacks worthwhile moving up for at, at six most likely because the Giants are going to take him if he's there. You know what I mean? If there's no quarterbacks there, no one's trading up, guys. Like, who's trading up and giving away multiple, like a first-round pick plus some for a, a receiver? You know, it, it, teams do it, but it's a lot more rare than a team moving up for a quarterback. And, you know, the one for Kadarius Tony, they moved up and got Justin Fields. They got a quarterback. You know what I mean? That's why they gave up a first-round pick and, and plus a lot more. So I just don't see it. I don't think the chances for the Giants to move back and actually get a lot of draft capital is going to be there. So you stay there. You don't make the same mistake twice th for a third time in five years or six years, and you take the elite prospect that can change your organization, that can change your offense, whatever it might be. Um, don't do the dumb stuff. We've seen them do this, and I, I just – I, I think Joe Shane's smart enough. You know what I mean? He he has stayed put. He has gotten his guys. Deontay Banks is sick. You know, I mean, Kayvon Thibodeau is objectively a sick, tangible player. Like, he is awesome. I don't think we've seen even close to what his potential can be. Evan Neal has been a bust up to this point, but I'm going to lean on the side of, like, injuries and, and coaching have failed him miserably because – we like even Joe Shane said it. What we saw at Alabama from Evan Neal is not the player that we're seeing today. That that film was different. Like he's a different player. So I'm blaming coaching and injuries on Evan Neal's lack of development because we know he has the capacity to be a good player. Um, you can't convince me otherwise. I just think like it hasn't come together. Hopefully Carmen Brasillo uh, will be able to fix this and help him. Uh, but I still think we need substantial comp competition at right tackle. And I think that you know Jermaine Illuminor and on when on on Wenu are are two guys the Giants will absolutely absolutely be considering in free agency to help support that right tackle position and add competition to it. So, you know, there is a path for the Giants to get back to relevancy here. There's a path for them to get back into, you know, at least relevant contention. And it starts with drafting players with elite upside and not passing on them for to take a gamble. You know what I mean? Like, you can't keep taking risks. Take the take the as close as you get to the guarantees. I think we're in we're in lockstep on that. Um, you know, the Giants have an opportunity to get a true like WR1 on a rookie deal. They should not pass on it unless there's a quarterback available like a Jaden Daniels for them at six. 
Yeah, and so we are in agreement on this, like get the blue chip prospect at six, but I want to kind of touch on a few of the things that you mentioned before I wrap this and say, you know, you mentioned getting too cute. You brought up 2021. I didn't even want to bring that one up because it still hurts me so badly. You know, every time we bring up the whole Micah Parsons thing, everybody knows I was the Micah Parsons guy. I was like spearheading that hype train for Giants fans back in the day. And uh, unfortunately, now I have to watch him dominate as a member of the Dallas Cowboys week in and week out. So I didn't even want to bring that one up because it hurt too bad, but you did make a good point with it where maybe the Giants got a little too cute in 2019 got a little too cute again in 2021 the common denominator there though is Dave Gettleman and what I will say is that I have hope going into this upcoming draft because Dave Gettleman's not at the helm anymore and Joe Shane has already proven that he's not going to get too cute that he's going to be aggressive to get his guys you just mentioned Deontay Banks you said stay put get Deontay Banks they didn't do that they traded up one spot to make sure that nobody jumped in front of them to get Deontay Banks and I think that's an important detail that you have to keep in mind that when the New York Giants now under Joe Shane's regime when they fall in love with a prospect they make sure that they get that prospect they don't get too cute with it so I think that's something to keep in mind going into this upcoming draft class and even thinking back to 2018 when Joe Shane was with the Bills I was reading more about it. He's the man that called all those teams to make those two trade-ups so the Bills could draft Josh Allen. So if the Giants, they fall in love with a prospect, they're going to take that prospect. They're not going to get cute and trade down at six. They're going to take the blue chip guy who's available with the sixth overall pick. And then again, like I said, if there's a quarterback who's sliding down the draft and they're in round two and they want to move into the first round, they're going to move into the first round. They're going to go ahead and get that guy. And even more to develop this narrative that Joe Shane's going to be aggressive, I, I would not be shocked if he moves from six to one. It just wouldn't shock me. Like it would be thrilling, it would be controversial, polarizing, but it's a possibility. It's nothing that you can rule out with Joe Shane. So again, when we're talking about the the previous shortcomings of the last regime, missing out on certain top draft prospects because they did get too cute, I do feel confident that this Giants regime will not get too cute, that they will be aggressive to get their guy and make sure that they get the best player on the board at six and also make sure that they land their quarterback if possible. If it's not possible, it's not possible. But like I said, last year, drafting Deontay Banks, trading up one spot to make sure nobody jumped in front of you to get him, that's that's Joe Shane's MO. That's why I feel confident going into this draft that whoever they want, they will find the way to go get. And even Jalen Hyatt, that's another name that we should mention in the third round. They traded up to make sure that Jalen Hyatt ended up a New York Giant. So again, going into this draft, if, if there's a player that they're enamored by and they think that that's their number one prospect that they need to add to their team, I think Joe Shane will make sure that he goes ahead and gets that prospect. Yeah, I have one more thing I want to add in here. And I was just thinking about other teams that have built successful organizations. Um, and I, I just found it crazy. I want to throw it out there. I, I'm like looking at the Rams right now. Obviously, the Rams are like really good at drafting, really good system, really good structure, good coaching. They haven't had a first round pick in like five years. <laughs> it's kind of crazy. Like the last time they had a first round pick was 2016 um, with Jared Goff. So it's kind of crazy to me. Like they just keep trading those first round picks away. And they still manage, and their coaching is so good. I mean, they got Steve Avila in the second round this year to play center. They had, what, one, two, three, four, five rookies play all 17 games, including, obviously, Pukanuku, who set records this season. Um, it's kind of impressive. You know what I mean? Like you see like what they're what they're capable of doing here, with, like trading away first-round picks for a proven talent. Um, they just keep doing the same thing, and it's working for them. Like They're back in the playoffs, and Stafford's a stud. Um, I love Stafford, probably the most underrated quarterback in the history of the league, to be honest with you. Um, and like, this is, um, I'm not saying the Giants should be doing that same thing. Uh, but what I am saying is like the draft, it, it, like sometimes if you can draft, you can 
trade draft capital for, you know, elite talent, it's worthwhile. You know, the Giants trading a couple of first-round picks to get a, a rookie quarterback that opens up a lot of salary space and, you know, allows them to build around a guy with elite upside, that is fine. Like, that is a fine move for the Giants because draft capital, as you can see, doesn't always mean you're going to you're gonna get a great player. It doesn't always mean you're going to be a winner. I mean, a lot of the times, like, the, the worst teams in the league that are drafting high every single year, for example, the Bears, us, the Jets, we all still freaking blow for the most part. So it's like, you know, it takes great coaching, really. Great coaching is what turns things around. I mean, the Giants last year, for a good example, we had one of the worst rosters in football and won a playoff game. That's how important coaching is to winning in the NFL. Um, so, you know, I, I know we get obsessed with the draft and everything, but you figure out your quarterback, you get your guy, and you trust your – and you pray to God your coaching elevates everybody. The Lions, I mean, what Dan Campbell is doing over there, it is coaching, man. They are being coached out of their mind right now um, into a winning football team, plus great development of their players. So it's like, you know – Sometimes it really comes down to coaching and development. I think that really is the the end-all, be-all of great NFL teams. Like, they just churn out good players. Um, and they have a couple of guys, like Patrick Mahomes, that can make a bad unit look good. And, like, that's really what it comes down to. And, you know, quarterback ends up becoming the most important position in football, and it is. And you, you see why it's necessary to keep taking shots on a guy like that. And the draft does not matter. You, 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 can't, you can't draft your way to a Super Bowl a lot of times unless you have a quarterback that can help maximize the talent around them. Yeah, it's very rare that you see a team carry a quarterback into the Super Bowl, but it's not so rare that you see a quarterback carry a team into the Super Bowl. That happens way more than the other scenario. And I think mentioning the Rams there is interesting because they're a team that was specifically in a Super Bowl window, and they did everything to maximize that window by trading away those picks and adding all that talent, and it worked. They got a Super Bowl out of it, and also they... um have an opportunity now to go where they had one they, they, they're still a good playoff team and that's because they have their quarterback in place and also on the flip side of that the trade also included Jared Goff over to the Lions and now he has a Super Bowl opportunity so it really is about getting the quarterback right and figuring it all out from there which is an argument that we've been kind of pounding the table for all offseason long since it started even before the offseason started Alex and of course I'm sure we'll continue to make that point but a pretty lengthy and interesting discussion in this episode I think we made some really solid points and really came to a conclusion that at number six overall if it's not a quarterback it's got to be a blue chip prospect the Giants have to feel convicted about one of these top playmakers and go ahead and get their guy because game-changing playmakers make a difference man like they really do when you're looking at a Puka Nakua when you're looking at a Rasheed Rice if you want to talk about some of these teams um, more recently finding their young talents that made a difference. You've got rookie receivers that brought teams deep into the playoffs. You also have great tight ends that bring teams deep in the playoffs. Sam Laporta, Travis Kelsey, of course. So it's going to be really curious to see how the Giants attack that number six overall pick if it isn't going after a quarterback. But again, if it isn't a quarterback, Let's see if they find one in this draft or if maybe they just hold off and wait for 2025. Not the most exciting draft class there for quarterbacks, but there's always a way to find talent uh, if you've got the right general manager and head coach in play. So it'll be it'll be fun to watch what unfolds in this offseason. Of course, we're going to continue to give you rumors, updates, mock drafts, all that stuff regarding the New York Giants right here on Fireside Giants. So make sure to leave a like if you did enjoy this episode. Subscribe to the channel if you are new. Ring the bell so you don't miss an episode and comment your thoughts on the topics down below in the comment section. If you listen to Apple or Spotify, please make sure to leave us a five-star review. Go ahead and follow us on all of our social media channels at Fireside Giants. Without further ado, we'll catch you on the next one. Have a good one. And... Let's go Giants.